Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to a very special edition of the Real Time Show. On the other end of this call is my good friend and co-host Alan Ben Joseph, phoning in all the way from Amsterdam. And today we are proud to announce we have hit three figures for the first time, 100 episodes in the can in less than a year of being on air. Alan, congratulations and thanks for all the effort thus far. Mazal tov to you, buddy. I can't believe we reached 100, less than a year. I've only seen you a few days ago in Geneva, but it feels ages ago. I mean, that was an amazing trip. Again, we had loads of fun, four days of fun, talking whatever what we like, which is watches, seeing old friends, making new friends. We partied hard. You gave me too much alcohol, so I blame you that I went up a stone and not down a stone because I thought you're talking about my weight when you said three figures. What a fair it has been, 100th episode. While we're recording is we just got a mention in the British GQ magazine. So this is a shout out to Scarlett Baker. I did have to twist her arm to come on the show. So soon we'll have some more girl power on the show as well. And thank you to all, all, all our dear, dear listeners, both in the TRTS network, but also all these other thousands of listeners for listening, supporting us. And while I'm thanking them, I quickly am going to call upon you. Please subscribe, like, and review the show. If you've done it already, thank you so much. And if you're into the show, please do join the TRTS crew on our WhatsApp community. Just send David, Rob, or me a DM, and we'll send you a link where you can join us in our metaverse of watches. Isn't it crazy, 10 months ago, when we first contacted the first round of guests, you know, we sat down together and we identified, like, which 20 individuals would we like to have on the show to start our first few months? And obviously, we had Jean-Claude Biver there 99 episodes ago in episode two, our first guest. And he understood the situation. He knew who we both were. He knew where we were coming from. He knew that at that point, our following was a grand total of zero because we hadn't run a single episode before we recorded with him. And he gave back to the industry as he always has preached others should. And, you know, we have him and we have Ed Malan and Javier de Rocamorel and Antoine Payne and, and Long Ferrier, our earliest guests, our first five guests, and those that followed quickly afterwards to thank for this incredible trust and support and establishing the foundations of a community that is now cruising over a hundred members of the real-time show network and they're very active and they're very engaged and it's wonderful to see this community flourish without much input from us alan we've just brought together like-minded people and now we're watching that go on its own direction and that's really really cool and god what a lot of fun people we met last week you're right so without further ado Let's dig in to the nitty-gritty of Geneva Watch Days 2023. It was a fantastic event. We had over 50 meetings in a four-day stretch, and we probably did our best business in the corridors of the Beau Rivage or the beer halls of the watchmaking capital of the world. I tell you what, I said to one of my journalistic colleagues, I said, you know what, there's no need to make an appointment if you're trying to find the media at Geneva Watch Days. You just stand on the edge of the stairwell at Beau Rivage and just wait for people to come past. We had a relay of guys coming past us. It was unbelievable. We saw some great people there. But let's talk about the brands themselves. Alon, of those 50-plus meetings we had, which brands stood out to you most and which watches from their novelties stood out even further? Good question, Rob. And on the record, 
you and I had 50 meetings, but both you and I took over a dozen separate meetings as well. And we don't even talk about the dinners, drinks that we had. So really great fun. I think if we would have spent seven days there, which the fair didn't even take seven days, we would have filled them as well. And also before I forget, bro, because this is going to be a lot of information that we need to condense into one hour, um, several brands actually asked me if we would be willing to bring the TRTS crew with us next year to Geneva Watch Days 2024. So that's actually very cool. Some of the CEOs asked us if we would be willing to organize a meet and greet at the Geneva Watch Days and then take them from there to a manufacturer visit, for example. So, of course, we said, hell yes. And if you are not in the network, here is another good reason to join us. Um, now, Scarlett Baker asked me literally at the end of the fair where I was dead tired and didn't even have time to process everything we've seen and to collect my thoughts. Um, she asked me what my favorite was. And as you probably all know, I'm a huge fanboy of both Fabrizio Buonamassa and Bulgari itself. I've been wearing the Octofinissimo for a very long time. Those that have seen me on video know that where I sit in my office, behind me are two hand-drawn sketches by Fabrizio for my children. So the Carbon Gold launched this year at the fair by Bulgari was the first to pop into my mind. Does that mean it's the best or the only one? No. That one spoke to me because I already loved the initial first carbon version they made and discontinued. Why is this one more spectacular? The gold makes it more readable. It gives it a hint of warmth in that cold marble-like effect of the carbon. And they surpass themselves. The majority of the movement is made from actual gold in this version. So that blew my mind because there are not many manufacturers that make a full movement from gold. As far as I know, FP Jun does it still in a serial production. Our dear friend Sylvain Bernard is going to do it. Just gold for all his watches that he's currently producing. I've, I know that uh, Parmigiani Fleurier had a caliber, the Chrono, in gold, but I don't think they make it anymore. Then going from there, how can I not mention the launch during the Geneva watch days was the reveal of the only watch collab between MBNF and Moser and C. Obviously, it had to be something cool. It is super cool. Um, I didn't put it on one because it's only one piece. And because it's not their first collab and they hyped it with the Panda because the Panda DJ in the watch was given to us as a a toy to take it away back home. So that's super cool. Um, I was blown away by Haute Rive. I have to admit, the design is not so much my cup of tea, but Stefano von Gunten is an amazing guy. We actually met him during breakfast, Rob and I. He was sitting with our old-time friend, uh, Patrick Hoffman, old CEO of Ulysse Nardin. And uh, we started chatting while having breakfast together. And then it only dawned on me after 10 minutes that Stefan was the guy who invented a modern wristwatch caliber with 1,000 hours of power reserve. 
So I, that blew my mind as well. Global Force stole my heart with the newest editions. I've seen a reveal that we can't talk about, unfortunately, by Angulus. That's a watch I put on my personal wish list. And I, I, I don't know, there are too many to mention, uh, Rob. So maybe after you've shared your highlights, let's walk through chronologically our schedule and give a highlight per brand. Okay, that sounds like a great idea. So I have to say that I'm right with you alongside the Bulgari Auto Finishing of Carbon and Gold. I have, as you will know, as our listeners will know, as anybody that has read my work over the last three years will know, I have been banging the drum for the Chapek Antarctique, H. Moser and C. Streamliner, and Bulgari Ottofinissimo to be regarded as the modern holy trinity of sports watch design. This is a trio that I assembled, a trio that I fully believe in, but not necessarily, as it might surprise some people, a trio that I either own or necessarily have covered to own. Now, the Antarctique is, I would say, my favorite of the three because it's certainly the most wearable on my wrist. And I do own an Antarctique, obviously the green dial Fratello version that we created together in 2021. However, I've always wanted a Bulgari Octo Finissimo, and I've always believed that the titanium was the purest execution of the design and the best effectively on paper. However, when I first tried a Bulgari Octofinissimo and Titanium on, a lot of it was yours. I think it was Basel World 2000, maybe 18, or I don't know exactly when that edition of Yotto came out, but it was while I was still with Nomos and you were wearing it on your wrist next to a set of blue beads from Breitling, if memory serves correctly. And you took it off and you let me wear it. And I thought, wow, you know what? This is a remarkable object, but it does not sit right on my wrist. And that stuck with me ever since. I couldn't work out exactly what it was because I don't think it was a proportional problem and I hadn't thought at the time it could possibly be a material problem. But the second I slipped that carbon and gold version on my wrist, I was in heaven. And I can't express why. Perhaps it's the warmth of the carbon and its uh, immediate symbionts with the wrist. I don't know what it is, but it looked superb. It felt like nothing else, like a dream, like just this glimmer of a watch on the wrist there's barely anything to it but what is there is so perfectly realized i can't say high enough things about it however i did think okay the price point twenty nine thousand swiss francs and we believe that's including tax that's quite a step up from where the titanium model was when it first debuted now i know the titanium model is nowhere near where it was in price versus what it was when it first came out. I believe it was around 11.7, around 12,000 euros when it first hit the market. And now it's something more like 17, 18,000 up in that region. So I know that this step up here, this 50% increase, it's a lot of money, but it's not completely out of this world considering the movement bridges, not main plate bridges are made of solid gold. And obviously there's a little bit more technology in the carbon when it comes to creating those case and bracelet components than it does with titanium but it did make me look sideways at the black matte ceramic version a model i'd completely dismissed in the past because i thought if i bought one ever it would be the titanium and now that black ceramic which again has gone up a lot since it came out but still sits slightly below twenty thousand, is a model that i am eyeballing so just an interesting case study of how novelties 
can sometimes buoy an existing model in the collection and may not be commercial themselves or as commercial as something that already exists or as commercial as something that already exists, but they can earn you sales through an expansion of a concept and maybe to redirect someone's thoughts from one side of a catalog to the other, as has happened here with me. But my number one choice comes from the third of the modern Holy Trinity, the brand for which I've had a great deal of love, but not a huge amount of commercial interest ever since I began following them closely. And that's Moser. Moser always does watches that I absolutely love on paper, and I absolutely adore them on other people's wrists. But for some reason, I never found one that really sat well on mine. The cheese watch was pretty close, but I love cheese too much to have a watch made for stuff because I'd probably chew into it, even though that would be a very expensive snack indeed. No, for me, the watch of the fair was the H. Moser and C. Streamliner in a smaller case diameter. I believe it was 39 mil, a little bit thinner, enamel dial, hammered surface, blue fume, subdial seconds, second subdial. My God, I put this on the wrist. And no word of a lie, tears came to my eyes and I choked up. And Alon, and I think Natalie as well, um, the sales agent from Moser, thought I was joking or putting it on. I really wasn't. I was really, really moved to tears because this model I have championed so vocally since it came out as a modern classic, as the pinnacle of modern sports watch design, like the, the ultimate expression of ambition and execution and yet it never suited me it never sat well on my wrist i could never wear the old streamline it just rolled around on top of my wrist and i was gutted because the strap or the bracelet should i say the lobster bracelet as i call it is so beautiful and fits so well it's so well finished and the agenor movements inside them are absolutely to die for but i could not wear it and now this model comes along and it's not just smaller, it's not just slimmer, it's not just lighter, it's not just better balanced. It doesn't just have a gorgeous movement inside it. It has the very best dial they've probably ever produced slapped on the front of it. How often are we presented with novelties that are 90 or 95 or even 98% of the way there? And there's one thing left off, a handset here, a crown there, a case back maybe. Something doesn't fit. Something doesn't excite you. To the level that the rest of the watch is able to put this watch from Moser, this streamliner, 27,000 francs, including taxes, is perfect. And it will take its place in the pantheon of greats alongside the Chapek Antarctique. And I believe that in years to come, we will look back at this particular iteration of the streamliner. And if we see a version without the subdial as well, maybe in the future time only to give people the option to prefer a cleaner dial. That choice, it'll be regarded as the classic among classics. And I absolutely love it. And I'm looking in my watch box for which watches I can sell. Alan, what do you think of that? Here on air, he did not lie a word or made up anything. He was sitting next to me. I thought he was putting up his rub act and... I said to him, I said, wow, he's such a good actor. They're actually drops of water coming out of his eyes. And I was about to say, hey, dude, you can play an Hollywood movie. But then I realized he was really crying. So he, he, he was really moved. And it was a fun meeting. And Moser 
is was amazing, but they're really elevating themselves every year. And we didn't even speak about their new Vanta Black dials, Rob, and the new nano technology they used to make it even blacker and less fragile, where the tubes, the vertical tubes can break, if I listened well, because I was so mesmerized by the two watches. Um, so yeah, kudos to Moser and you on your non-acting skills. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird moment. I don't often I express much emotion at all, so I can imagine why you thought I was hamming it up for the crowd, but no, I... <laughs> Yeah, still still now when I think about it, I'm like kind of determined to buy that watch. And it's a lot of money. It would be, if I bought it at retail, uh, which I expect I'll have to because I'm sure they'll all be sold out in a heartbeat, um, it would be probably a good 10000 more than I've ever spent on a watch for myself. So it's not a purchase I would make lightly. But to be quite frank, the longer I've spent in this industry, strangely perhaps the fewer pieces I really want to express my love for the craft through i would love to be able to distill it down to i will never be able to get down to three pieces i know that but i'd love theoretically to get down to under 10 i'm pretty sure that's not going to happen because i'd have to slash 80 percent of my watch collection now and that's before i've even bought the new pieces i want and i really think it's important <laughs> i mean not in terms of life and death obviously but like it makes sense for someone like me so obsessed with these certain watches to have an example of each of them in their collection. And I've got the, uh, I've got the Antarctic in green streamliner in blue would be nice. Maybe the black ceramic bowl to Octo Finissimo is the perfect one for me to have in that little three-way collection. Oh, here's a side question for you, Alan, actually, while we're here talking about these three brands, because I know you love them as well, which three would you choose? Which iteration of the Antarctic, which iteration of the streamliner and which iteration of the Octo Finissimo would make it into your modern Holy Trinity? So the Octofinissimo, I still love the titanium the most. Maybe because it's the first. Maybe it's because that blew me away. I love ton sur ton, so tono on tono. And that being said, I have one on my wish list. And it was the full red gold, fully satinated one. When I was ready to pull the trigger, it was discontinued. I allocated my funds elsewhere. And now this year, during uh, Watches and Wonders, Ogre gave the good news that they brought it back into the collection because they launched a red gold one again with a Havana brown dial, but in the finishing of the S series, the steel Octofinissimos, which means half satinated, half polished. It's amazing. It's great. It's also waterproof. But I'm a satin finished guy. So that made it back on the list. So those two, they can contend for that third or first or whatever spot in that top three. Regarding the Antarctic, I love, love the blind reveal one that we did on the show. So that's the skeletonized. The revelation. The revelation. So where you revealed it on the real-time show before Watch the Wonders 2023, which we are forever in depth to Xavier that gave us that honor and he actually did us a favor. So merci Xavier, you're a gentleman. But that blew my mind, that watch. So that's my number one pick 
at Chapekensi, and for Moser and C, obviously a streamliner. I'll go for steel, satin finished, although it has some polished elements, with an amazing enamel dial. And that's an amazing combination of modernity with an antique technique and uh, métier d'art, as they love to say in French and in Switzerland. So that's my top three. So are you choosing the same one as me then, the small size one that we saw at this fair with the blue enamel dial? Because I think that's probably the only enameled one that they have. I don't know whether you would say that the uh, flyback chronograph has an enamel dial. Does it have an enamel dial or is it just does it just look like it's fumé? So I agree with you. Yes, the smaller size, stunning. Less is more. And the older I get, I'm going to smaller sizes. That's, I believe, the only one that's enamel currently in the collection. And the chrono, I believe, is a fumé yeah, uh, gradient style dial, but I don't believe that's um, enamel. They might have made some limited editions. <laughs> you know, you can't keep track at this point. But what I love about Moser is that they either don't put a name on the dial at all or write it with a transparent lacquer. So that really does it for me philosophically and also taking the art of less is more. See, it's interesting that we've both landed on the same streamliner there because. Our other choices are quite different. I mean, the Revelation and the, I guess, when I say Fratello edition, obviously that's limited so other people can't buy that one anymore. There were only 50 pieces made, but any Passage to Drake with the claw indices, otherwise known as the Nerds dial, any of those dials in the current collection, like the Ice Blue or the Navy Blue, I'd be all for that on the Antarctic. But our Bulgari choices are weird because we both went for non-steel or even non-titanium in in both cases. So ceramic and rose gold make an appearance in the sports watch selection there. All right. Very interesting stuff for all of our listeners in the network and anyone that wants to join the network, you know how to get in touch. Just message us on either Instagram, email, or the contact form. If you want to join, let us know what your trio would be. And we'll read some of those combinations out on a future episode, but we'd love to know, pick your favorite Antarctic, your favorite streamliner, and your favorite Octo Finissimo. And you can have the Octo Finissimo in any materials you want, of course, because there's so many of them. And you don't have to stick to the ultra, ultra thin ones, just anything in that Octo Finissimo catalog. Okay, let's go back to the fair. Let's start at the very beginning. I arrived slightly before you, and before you made it to the Beau Rivage, I met with Seven Friday, Maurice Lacroix, and Ortlans. I think you walked in on Ortlands, right? You you turned up halfway through. Correct. Okay, so I'll get Seven Friday and Morris Lacroix out of the way first, and then we buddy up and we can bounce back and forth from there as we move through our calendar at a rapid pace to keep this episode somewhere in the region of one hour. Don't worry, even though it's our 100th episode, we're not going to do a bumper three-hour special, although some people have been asking for that. If you do like that longer format, then please, again, let us know, and we'll see if we can do a special episode at some point. All right, Seven Friday... They've released, most notably, a trio of colors this year in blue, kind of tealish green, and orange, which recalls several models of their past, I think in the P series from years ago. This time they've used a kind of carbon-formed uh, case middle, like a decoration ring. It provides a glossier finish than the old ones that used to have the rubber sheath around the middle. And they're a bit more in your face than even the older models that were at the time regarded as rather 
in your face. They have color matched rubber straps, very comfortable. I believe it's silicone and not FKM from the feel of it. Simple buckles, but buckles that are consistent throughout the entire range. A lot of fun. Seventh Friday has, over its existence, tried to experiment with different case shapes, but it never really worked as well as the TV case that made it famous. And I don't think they should push it. I think they have a shtick. They should stay in their lane and they should experiment within it. They did some nice cartoonish dials as well. There's one with a little whale and a little lobster on the dial. And there's a little story about a relationship between these two creatures. Not sure how that's going to work. Sounds spiky and blubbery and all kinds of gross, but it is cute. And when you turn the watch over, you can see like a little cute continuation of the scene that's playing out on the dial side. In addition to that, they had a nice Bauhaus edition that was presented to me on a bracelet. Check out my Instagram at Rob Nuds, R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, over the coming weeks because some of those 7 Friday pieces will be featuring on my feed. Very nice, the Bauhaus one. It had a single hour hand effectively or an hour wheel. So the time selling is not quite so precise, but the visual impact of the whole thing with all the bright colors was fantastic. Ortlons, we saw again the rebirth of the Ortlons range with models we've seen several times before now to be honest we've seen the same stuff at watches and wonders earlier this year and i think we even saw the same stuff at gwd the year before so the company is building towards this entire rebrand this complete overhaul the star of the show is still the sphere if you know of the sphere well you'll know why it's the star of the show and if you don't google Ortlons. that's h-a-u-t-l-e-n-c-e it's an anagram of Neuchâtel, if anyone's wondering what it means. And you will find the Sphere watch. It's got a ball on the left-hand side, which is the, a jumping hour indicator. And it's really cool to watch it in operation. It looks wild. It doesn't look like the sort of thing that could be operated by simple cogs and cams and levers and pinions and whatnot, but it can. And what they're doing is they're working on upgrading that movement so the shape of the Sphere at some point could theoretically be changed. And we had a nice little chat with Samuel Hoffman the CEO of the brand, about different ways he could realize 12 numbers being shown on a six-sided surface. And we included suggestions like two cubes that surrounded, well, one surrounding the other in different colors of sapphire that allow for different light to pass through as those two surfaces meet up beneath the sapphire crystal of the watch itself, or polarized surfaces. That was one of my suggestions or even holograms. So it all got a little bit wild and wacky. When you see Ortlons, if you've not seen it before, you'll know just why we felt comfortable suggesting that sort of thing. So watch the space, see what Samuel comes up with. Alon, what did you think of the Ortlons stuff this time around? So Samuel Hoffman is rather young, has the pedigree because his dad is Patrick Hoffman, who we just mentioned. Um, so besides that, he's as lovely as his dad. It's amazing how the Melon family gave him the faith and trust to run such an eclectic brand. I love it because I put Hortlans in the same category as MBNF, Uwerk, uh, HYT, etc. Let's call it uh, futuristic, crazy hotology watchmaking where everything is literally out of the box. They are not conformed to anything. And I love the re-edition that they launched. It's fun. It's crazy. doesn't take itself too serious. It is hardcore autologerie. And I said to myself, why would soccer players just buy per-cell watches? This, this is fantastic for them. 
and those that love bingo. So if you're into bingo, definitely have a look at this one. <laughs> yeah, you need to win big on the bingo to afford it. But, you know, it's actually coming down in price from the previous iteration. This is one of the key things about the Ortlons restructuring, and Samuel's been a key figure in that. They're taking the price point down from six figures as a kind of mandatory starting point to more like 60 or 70, if memory serves. But um, that's for the higher end of the brand. The entry point comes down even further with a Vagabond, which is around 30, 35. And we saw, of course, the Black Badger edition, which was announced in Watches and Wonders. Okay, let's move on because we will be running for the three-hour episode if we carry on at this pace. Next up, we had Moser. We've talked about Moser extensively, so you know how we feel about that one. And then we hopped over to MBNF, where we saw one of the most remarkable horological machines of all time. It's a controversial shape, shall we say. Um, recalls, I don't know, when I look at that, I see two plums and a carrot. What about you, Alan? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. The problem is, I did not see that when it came out and everybody started sending memes all over the Insta. Uh, the Gram and our TRTS network. Um, I literally saw an amazing flying spaceship and <laughs> I still saw that when we held it in, not the metal, but the glass, because it's almost fully made of uh, sapphire crystal all around. And I joked around that you're actually buying two mm. watches for the price of one, although the price ticket is very steep or worth every penny of it is I would wear it like in 180 degrees, but it's spectacular and it's exactly what you can and should expect from MBNF. And yeah, if you like what the memes and your joke refer to, <laughs> then it's definitely your I'm not sure use that as a reason for or against purchasing this watch. I just think it's it's absolutely stunning the all sapphire housing almost all Sapphire housing provides this incredible 3D view of the movement finished either in blue or lustrous and green, I would guess, CBD plating and encased in either white gold or yellow gold, respectively. It was actually, I guess, the only meeting where you and I both hardly spoke, which is uber rare because you and I can both compete for the biggest chatterbox ever. And we just sat there, or stood actually, and enjoyed it. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I believe I put up an Instagram reel of the watch where I spin it 360 degrees and, and just enjoy. So going from there, Rob, MBNF, we went to another spectacular brand, one of our favorites, Uwerk. I obviously rocked my UR103. We hung out with Martin Fry and Felix Baumgartner actually quite some time. And they had their amazing, I call, I nicknamed it, like probably many people, the light saber. There is actually also a video. Actually, I think you need to, you've videoed me and you have to upload that video. I, I guess we were so busy. We didn't upload a video explaining how that amazing piece for again only watch was created, what's it made of, and how it functions. But mind-blowing, and then a silent release was the UR100, fully set with pavé diamonds. It was superb, and I do have that video yet to upload. I thought I'd hold some of our content back 
to keep people interested over the next few weeks because these episodes are coming out over the next little period. So we don't want to blow it all at once. I mean, you did a fantastic job of staying on top of things on our LinkedIn channel. If you do want to follow our movements more closely, then you can do so on LinkedIn. We have a page there. We have about 720 followers now, which is very nice. And they're very... Uh, engaged with the content so it would seem so moving on from Urverk, with whom we are always glad to spend an afternoon we went to Chapek and actually to be quite frank we didn't see a whole lot of stuff at Chapek because Xavier grabbed me dragged me out onto the balcony to help him work on his presentation for the following day because he'd been given a bunch of slides that he had to write small speeches to and some of them were a little bit uh esoteric let's say so we had a little consultation outside and we resolved to see each other soon after for lunch at his place, which would be nice. And then in the evening, we had dinner, not only with our good friend Sylvain Benneron, thanks for dinner, Sylvain, by the way, very kind of you, but also with Martin Klucker of Sherpa. So it's an unusual pairing, and we dragged them together, as we accidentally do sometimes with people that we know and meet around the fairs, and that was a lovely way to spend the evening, wasn't it? It definitely was, because I keep on repeating it, what I love the most about Fairs is meeting up with old friends, making new friends, and especially connecting people. So making the connections, helping out people, that's what I love the most. And it seems that that you and I have literally been doing that more and more in the last 10 months. So we, 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 we have received the nicknames of being the catalyst of the watch industry or the connectors or the black book of the watch industry, which I all three take as a huge compliment. <laughs> yeah, I quite like the black book of the watch industry. That's cool. Yeah, the connector sounds like a 1960s TV series. It should have had Roger Moore in it or something. So yeah, we could think about doing a little bit of a spoof video like that. That'd be quite fun, wouldn't it? You know, a little advert. See, and I've seen your acting skills. So I'm quite sure that from your Netflix moves, you're going to go to Hollywood afterwards, which... Today, I believe Netflix is more important than Hollywood. I'm <laughs> um, going quickly to both Bernaron, Sylvain, and Klocker. Martin, two things. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I've ordered my Bernaron watch. You put your money so down. I was in love from day one. Yeah, yeah. I was in love from day one when he showed me the initial idea. And I said, I'm supporting you. Um, I've seen uh, the, 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 the evolution of the proto. It's mind-blowing. Whomever is on the ledge, get going because year two is almost full or full by now. So if you're getting on the bandwagon, you're talking about allocation 25 already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really, if you don't know much about it, either reach out to Rob or me or to Sylvain himself. You can find him, for example, on Instagram at Bernerol. And then what was super cool is to hang out with Martin Klocke from Sherpa Watches. I've actually never met him. Obviously, we had him on the show. Really inspiring episode. If you haven't heard it, scroll back on our website or on your favorite podcast platform. I believe it was about 10 episodes back, so around 90-ish. I'm saying that by heart. Uh, a very inspiring story. Amazing guy. The funny thing is he and I both landed at the same time. We carpooled, so we take a taxi together. We hung out. We hung out in the evening. We hung out the next week. And from friendship, 
comes shared passion, ideas. So something is cooking, right, Rob? Yes, something is cooking. And believe it or not, Martin was on the show 19 episodes ago for episode 81, which is quite remarkable how quickly things seem to be moving these days. But keep your eyes peeled on Sherpa and on the Real Time Show if you want to see something very special coming very soon, because you know what we've got coming up on the horizon, Alon? Our one-year anniversary. Get your birthday cakes ready. So Rob and I are planning to share the celebration with our dear listeners. So stay tuned. <laughs> All right. Okay. So after a wonderful evening with those guys, we went to bed and we woke up far too early. Thanks, Alon. I'm never letting you organize any part of the schedule ever again and had breakfast with Ramarik Andre of Second Second, who is always a great guy to hang out with, always incredibly inspiring, full of passion, full of energy. He's got ideas for days and, wow, some of our ideas overlap with some of his. So that'll be interesting. Also, please watch this space for more news on an upcoming second, second, whatever. We're not going to put a name on it. Next up, Bulgari. We got to see the man himself, the beautiful beard that is Fabrizio Buonamassa. And you sat down with him and recorded a short episode, which we aired at the weekend. And always love to see Fabrizio. And obviously he showed us some of the finest pieces that we saw throughout the entire fair. So we won't spend too much time on that topic now let's move on to our next meeting which was with christo hopper of bazel australia's finest watch brand tell us more along strangely enough christo well, that's his nickname and i have been connected on linkedin quite some time never met in person so what's better than a watch fair he lives down under and we hung out rob recorded a very cool episode with him 96, I believe. 95. 95. 95. 95. 95. Great guy. Great <laughs> energy. Loved his story. And the funny thing is, meaning in person works the best. And that's why I'm still in retail. Because I've heard about the brand, seen images. But when you touch it, feel it, have it on your wrist, hear the story in real life, you get infected. And super cool because... He, I thought it was gimmicky by adding different kinds of sand in the crown, but it immediately sparked me by asking him, hey, dude, can we make a Dutch version with the sand from the Dutch beaches? And him with his enthusiastic behavior is always like, yes, why not? Instead of thinking in problems and being standoffish, like I sorry, I have to say most of the Swiss. So that was refreshing. Yeah. Listen to the episode. Super fun, super cool, accessible luxury. It's actually very fun what he and his team, because they are doing 15,000 watches a year. So it's not a one-man show. Actually very impressive. So let's keep it at that. I only met Bazel for the first time last year, I think. I instantly bonded with Christo and Aaron, who wasn't there this time, the CEO that's based in Los Angeles, although Aaron is actually Australian. It's uh, it's just a fun brand, you know, and they've been going since 2011. So this is not some startup. This is not like a brand that's, you know, on hand and knee begging for whatever it can get. They've already established themselves as major players in the Australian landscape. And that's very interesting because when you see some of the watches in real life and you, you know, you buy into the enthusiasm of, of the guys behind it immediately, but you see that sand in a crown, you think, okay, this is actually pretty cool. You try on the my favorite is the Endless Sunrise model, the dive watch, as it were. It's incredibly comfortable. It's incredibly well-balanced. It looks like not much else, really. I mean, it's a diver, yeah. I, it has a really cool bracelet that reminds me a little bit of the Serica version, except it works a bit better. 
which is nice. I'm keen to work with these guys on a on a project, to be honest, because I like what they're doing and I would like to be part of that story. And the, the chaps themselves, that's a big reason for us to buy watches, of course, because knowing and liking the people behind the brand makes all the difference. But they are really, really good people with like their eyes on the on the right right stuff. So yeah, watch this space. Who knows? Bozell might be popping up on the real time show at some point in the future as well. And if you've not listened to episode ninety five, go back and give it a listen because Christo's enthusiasm really comes through. Next up was David Toon. We saw Uldus Nadiri, who we have always a great respect for and love seeing because she knows her stuff and she showed us some very interesting David Toon style watches. Let's face it, there's nothing quite like a David Toon. So what did you make of that one, Alon? I know you you made a new friend in that meeting, didn't you? Yeah, because we had another lovely lady, Hanane, and her name should reveal she's Moroccan, where her roots lie, but she appeared to be Dutch. So since she lives in Switzerland, she doesn't speak that much Dutch. So she was all happy she found a Dutchie. So we actually had two conversations going at once while in the middle enjoying the amazing pieces by De Bethune. Um, If you don't know the brand, check it out. I believe I put up a Instagram reel of that watch, which is double-sided, which I love. Um, we chatted a bit yeah. about the dream watch, but... The thing is, they literally live in a stratosphere, and I, I don't even think they even pay too much attention to everything what we've actually intensively discussed, which is the Argon slash uh, Space One project. Um, they didn't seem even that aware. I, I wanted to say bothered, but they weren't even that aware. You're right. I don't think they even knew about it. Yeah. They're, they're so... So that's even better. I mean, bothered means. <laughs> so, yeah, so we touched upon that topic, but they live in their own world and good for them. So super fun. They invited us to come to their drinks, so which we did. So thank you for hosting us for a quick sushi dinner and lovely drinks and crowd. So, mm. super cool. And unfortunately, we didn't have time to talk to Hizek Jr. because he was in another meeting. But we asked if he's willing to come on the show because his dad, obviously, is one of the greatest watch designers ever. So, it's super cool that he's working for the Bethune. And we also put in a request for, as David taught us to pronounce the name correctly, the founder of the Bethune, which is Denis Flejolet. And he wasn't there as well, so we didn't manage to shake his hand. But to be continued. Impressive pronunciation. Yeah, well, if you don't learn from your mistakes, you're a schmuck. So at, le <laughs> <laughs> so at least, uh, Rob, can you say Konstantin Huygens? Moving on to Bianchi. Now, I've always been very jealous of uh, the couple behind Bianchi because they have such a beautiful surname that just lends itself to a watch style. They couldn't have done anything else but become watchmakers. I, on the other hand, have never really wanted to see nuds on a dial, which is a real shame because one day I hope to own my own brand and I, I suppose I could call it Ben Joseph. That's a bit better. I'll do it. I'll do it. Nah. Out of love. For the real-time show. Anyway, Bianche. So if you don't know about Bianche, they have a pretty uh, limited uh, catalog, really. It's tourbillons in every watch, carbon, shaped a bit like a Richard Mille, little less crazy on the eye, quite nicely styled, simple use of colors, 
good colors though there's a really nice i would say electric peach uh version available today which was a little bit like the orange of the real-time show actually so that's why i was so enamored of it i like that one very much i like the people behind bianchi they're not cheap but if you're interested in tourbillons and you don't want to go on the beaten track with richard mill then take a good look at bianchi talking to tourbillons that really do get me going hyt is next up wasn't a huge amount of novelty to be seen this time around, just one update on the conical tourbillon. It saw it in a rose gold case, and instead of the fluid-filled globules that rotate around the central tourbillon at three different speeds, we now have small arms carrying beautifully faceted jewels. It is one of the most opulent and extravagant watches I've ever seen, fused with technology that is peerless. In my opinion, it is tough to beat for this show in terms of the best watch released, but since... Since I already gave the title of Watches and Wonders to the Conical Torbion, I'm going to say for me still the Moser Streamliner was the most impactful, the one that moved me the most, but this is a great development. And of course, Vahe is now the man to talk to at HYT and maybe Alon, you could just give a small mention to your friend and TRTS network member. Yes, Vahe is a lovely guy, gentle soul. We met when he was at Gérard Perregaux. He then moved on to Grubina Fulci. He got headhunted to HYT. And he literally started a few days before Geneva Watch Days commenced. He obviously still needed to learn the ropes, but the professional that he is, he's shown us what is already in the pipeline. And it's very, very interesting. So the only thing I want to say is stay tuned. Doing one step back for Bianchi, I really enjoyed that meeting for several reasons. I have to be very honest, I never understood what that brand was about. I'm like, why are they making Frank Muller-ish slash Richard Mille-ish watches? And what's their story? But we had a lovely meeting. As Rob said, the couple is wonderful. I really enjoyed that. The children, their children, were present and helping out. So real family-owned, family-run business. The dad literally said, I'm a watch nerd. Always love Frank Miller and Richard Mille. And it's instead of a copy-paste story, it's almost an homage thing where he took it to the next level. Um, as an Italian, he obviously inspired by the Fibonacci sequence and pattern. And he incorporated that into the calibers and watches that they have specially made for them, so manufacturer-ish, beautiful carbon cases. So I was really impressed by that meeting. So I want to have that been said, Rob, on air. Very good. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that. I wasn't really aware that you were so taken by it, but that's good. Very good. I mean, we don't have much time to talk to each other about our initial thoughts and feelings of meetings when we get out of them because we're straight on to the next one that's my fault i'll learn about schedule building one day despite having been doing it for about 10 years now next up was doxa now doxa released one of the most talked about watches of the fair it's an all black type version of their classic dive watch black ceramic case black bezel insert black dial black hands gold bezel surround and gold indices it was not without controversy, however. The date and the date printing were also in black. Now, that's a gloss print on a matte black date wheel. It was legible from an angle, but not really. 
The name itself, Doxa, and the text beneath the Doxa wordmark were also black, again, visible, but not really. I personally think that everything about this watch is exquisite, except for those hands. If they've made the black hands, and the hands are black gloss, so they do stand out against the matte dials slightly at an angle, and of course they have luminous inserts in the kind of old radium color. If they made those polished gold, I would have been all in on this watch as like the perfect John Player special colorway execution. But it's just a little bit too hard to read even for me. And when I say even for me, that's not because I have exceptional eyesight. It's because I don't really care about being able to read the watch in real terms because I, well, I spend so long looking at it. I, I have a better chance than most of actually being able to see what time it is. But those gold hands could have been could have been great. I have an idea of what to do. It's a little bit better. So I'm going to approach them to do a TRTS Limited, okay? Based on this watch, but slightly different. You like the sound of that, Alon? Yes. And on topic, for me, that was the trend for this fair. Black oh, yeah. and gold. That was the leading color tones of this fair. You agree? I do, I do. But we didn't see much of that at Lauren Ferrier, our next meeting. Tell us about that one. So it was a great honor to meet again physically with Mr. Ferrier. I had the honor several times before. Me with my broken French, which I didn't dare to uh, display on air during our interview because he was our second or third guest, I believe. So he honored us. Um, was lovely to catch up with him. Relaxed vibes. We saw the limited edition, which was in the colorways of a Le Mans race car that he used to drive because he's a Le Mans champion. Sold out apparently first day. Had a lovely session trying them on. I'm not objective. I love the man, and the watches. So they didn't have any spectacular novelties. It's a tranquil brand, long-term scope, nice and elegant. Yeah, you know what? Let's move on to one brand that we want to talk about at the end of this show, and we'll wrap our 100th episode and come back and do the remaining, <clears throat> what is it, like 30 brands we still got to go? It's quite a lot of brands. We'll come back and do the remaining 25 to 30 brands in next week's episode, so we're not boring you all to tears today, I want to talk to close the show about Charles Zuber, a brand that we first encountered in Watches and Wonders as we were guided through the brand universe by the wonderful Marie Ansel from 289 Consulting. And what did we find out this time around, Alon, when we got the chance to sit down with the CEO? First of all, lovely CEO. We've discussed Charles Zuber in depth after Watches and Wonders, I even dared to say that that was my biggest surprise from that fair. I was blown away and it didn't surprise me because one of the best watch designers, contemporary watch designers out there, Eric Giraud, is the designer of the new watch collection. So it didn't surprise me. And we sat down with him during Watches and Wonders. This time around, we sat down with the lovely, smart, fun, and very elegant CEO of the branch of Zuber, Sabrina Bergupsom. And this time around, we actually had a downtown location in a boutique, literally by a window with daylight. And when I put on the watch again, I did not like it. 
equally or less. I even like to watch more. And that's rare for me. And what made me like to watch more, because of the natural light, I saw suddenly that the indexes of the minutes track on the dial had facets. And when you twisted your arm, it gave a very subtle, delicate, elegant, fun, sunburst effect. So I know it maybe brought by brought back a childhood memory when you first encounter a kaleidoscope. It's not a kaleidoscope effect, but that that feeling it revived that feeling with me. So I don't know. It's it's it it sparked the passion even more, and I guess I could say it on air. I basically begged her if we can do something together. And then you also got super excited. So we're now stalking dear Sabrina. We apologize on air, Sabrina, for our enthusiasm. But um, I, I, th- I think that um, it has a, a very interesting growth path that they will make. I have a lot of confidence in this brand considering how new it is and considering its price point because these are not cheap watches by any stretch of the imagination. It is straight in at a very high level of horology with their own proprietary movement and a style that will definitely not be for everybody. And one I think that is very easy to misunderstand from press photos or just any kind of digital photography, I think you need it on the wrist. And like Alon said, even having it on the wrist in different environments can change your entire connection with the watch. Now, we had a connection with the watch when we were in Geneva in March, but we only saw the watch in the Polexpo. And anyone that's been to the Polexpo will know that it is renowned for terrible lighting. Like, it's just the most artificial, fake glow possible. No watch looks great in that. Heaven forbid you can take a good photograph of a watch there. But we loved the form, we loved the bracelet, we loved the way that it fell on the wrist, we were intrigued by the shape of the movement, it's a form-fitted movement, so it's a square case in 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 sense really, it's got like beveled edges, so it's like an octagon really I suppose, but the movement is like a square, sits within it, micro rotor, uh, there are quartz options, but really we're probably looking at working with the mechanical side of things, because that's what the real-time show is mostly interested in. I have to say that I think the potential for it, once it's been around a little bit longer and more more people have seen it on their wrists, is pretty high. Giro knows what he's doing. He doesn't really make massive missteps. And while I think this is a tough brand to sell blind, they seem to have the right structure behind the company. They have a visionary CEO. I believe they are well-funded. And therefore, I think this is a purchase if you were considering of making one that sort of falls into that brand new autologery bracket, that would be quite satisfying and probably have a lot of emotional returns further down the years. Yeah, it's a good watch. Good watch. I can't wait to see them again. I can't wait to work with the brand and I can't wait to get them on the podcast for real. So I think that is where we're going to wrap up this first of two episodes reviewing Geneva Watch Days. Thank you for spending time with us in our 100th episode. It was a real pleasure to have you here for the last 10 months, and we look forward to continuing to record insightful and interesting content for you as we race towards our first anniversary and then beyond. There's lots of exciting things coming up, and if you would like to learn more about those, then please get in touch with us directly. You can contact us via Instagram, 
I'm there at Rob Nuds. That's R O B N U D D S. Alon is there at A L O N B E N J O S E P H. Or you can contact us via our emails, either Rob or Alon at therealtime.show or via the contact form on the website. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share the podcast. We'll be back next week with another Q&A session following on from this one and an interview with one of Watchmaking's finest. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking.